Hello and welcome back to this special episode of the Hutchins Podcast. Today, we are joined with Alexander, Josh and myself. Hello. Hi. We are also joined by none other than Osher Ginsberg. Osher Ginsberg is one of Australia's most recognisable media personalities and has been a guest in the living rooms of Australians for nearly two decades. From his work on Channel V in the early 2000s to seven seasons of Australian Idol, Osher was the first Australian to host live network Prime TV in the USA on Live to Dance CBS. Currently hosts three formats within the Bachelor franchise, The Bachelor Australia, The Bachelorette Australia and The Bachelor in Paradise and is the narrator of Bondi Rescue. This year, Osher returned to live TV where he hosted season three of the smash hit show, The Masked Singer Australia. Welcome, Osher. Hey, thanks uh, for having me. I'm in uh, Sydney where it's winter. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Where are you guys? We're in Hobart, Hobart, Tasmania. Where it's also winter. Yeah, it's freezing. (laughs) Uh, Well, look, in 30 years from now, you guys are essentially on the Noah's Ark of the world. Yeah. So So tell us a little bit about yourself, Usher. What do you want to know? There's a lot. I'm old. Like I'm 47. I'm like older than most of your teachers and probably all of your parents. So what what do you want to know? Uh, let's start off with what's your favorite food? Uh well, I'm a I'm a vegan celiac, mm-hmm. uh, which is a weird breed of human that only eats plants, but only plants that contain no gluten because the gluten will kill me. So um to be honest, my favorite combo of food mm-hmm. is a, uh, a a corn tortilla mm. like a small little piece of corn flatbread peanut butter yeah banana mm. mash that sucker up jump 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 that's it mm, that's nice. all i need <laughs> are you a morning or a night person oh morning absolutely yeah i'm i'm yeah i I have a I have a brain that uh, t- tends to think that oh quick quick get out of something bad's happening. And I go well no 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 I'm just in bed it's mm-hmm. fine just chill. <laughs> so I have this smash of adrenaline the moment I wake up and so I'm like my brain just goes oh we've got to think about stuff to do there's things that there's there's like wonder do frogs like chocolate why is France so far away did it like the moment I my brain comes online mm-hmm, yeah. the noise is in, I just have to get out of bed. Do you find you're a clean or a messy person? Oh man, you don't even. <laughs> I've framed uh, for those people listening. We're on a on a video call right now, and the framing is just uh, what we like to call a medium close up. So pretty much <laughs> from the middle of my chest with a little bit of headroom, you cannot see the desk yeah. or the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we put this? There is a piling method of sorting here. <laughs> piling, piling, not filing. It drives my wife understandably bonkers. So, but this is my office. So this is the room that is my space. Yeah. Um, so she generally comes in here and goes, "Oh my god, I don't know. Yeah, oh, I've got to get out of here." Well, well who's your favorite singer? Oh artist? man. Oh crikey, I can give you five. Um, I can't have you give you one. You got to remember, guys. My like music is everything and was everything. Yeah, to me. And that's how I, that's how I got to be on radio and then television is because I played in bands and I was in bands for my whole life. So music and and that love of music is 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 runs deep inside of me. And I um so I think singer as far as vocal uh, artistry. 
Um, uh, Jill Scott is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvin Gaye is oh, yes. incredible. Uh, who else do I uh, just adore? Um, I don't know his name, but the guy from Amon Armath, uh, who's you know, I have a thing for Viking metal, um, <laughs> uh, which is just you know, why listen to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some sort of moody person singing about their ex-girlfriend not liking them anymore with a tangly, tangly telecaster when you can listen to bearded men call down the very spirits of their ancestors hoping for the eternal protection of Valhalla as they wade through the freezing waters of their enemy's homeland to march into battle uh, to a certain death uh, over some pretty tasty riffs. So, um, <laughs> there you go. There's three. There's that, that should do you. <laughs> Osha, do you have a favourite movie at the moment? Again, I, I can't put it down to one. I know. It must okay. be so hard for yeah. you. But I will – I'll give you, like, my, my current top five today, All right. uh, uh, Nobody. Uh, I would say I, I really quite enjoyed the new Bond film. If you haven't watched it, absolutely check out a film called Sorry to Bother You, which I think in it for me is easily, A, my favourite science fiction film of all time, better than The Matrix, and be my favourite black film of all time. So I, I did a little bit of background research on you, Osha. I had to listen to your book called After the Break. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was Thanks, great. I, I listened to it. was 12 hours long. I couldn't believe it. So I listened to as much as I could. And I guess my first question to you is, you talk about in your book the time when you performed in your first assembly and all your yeah. fear went away. Does, yes. does that still happen when you go on camera today? I talk about in the book, um, you know, anxiety is something that I've always had. Yeah. I remember, you know, having my heart beat out of my chest and I didn't know they were panic attacks, but I remember the feeling of mm. dread and horror washing over me when I was as young as five or younger even. And that happened quite a lot. And the noise, the aforementioned noise in my brain was always there. Mm-hmm. And the thing that made it all What's anxiety? Anxiety is a lack of control. When am I more in control than when I'm standing on stage and I'm the one that's talking and everyone else is quiet and I know what happens next and I get to say what happens next. Um, so it's an enormous, was an enormous sense of serenity. So eventually my coping mechanism became my career and mm. I um, ended up in radio. Yes. I chased that. I chased that feeling. So on stage with bands and then in radio and my relationship to it now is very different, mm-hmm. mind you. But for a long time there, yeah, you mentioned Live to Dance earlier. That was coast to coast live on CBS to 10 million Americans. And I'm staring down the barrel of a camera into 10 million living rooms across America. Absolute serenity, complete peace, absolute calm. You would sometimes have plenty of shows to sometimes no shows. What what would that be like? The The thing is, and I still do it now, is that, I was on a TV program called Australian Idol for mm-hmm. a long time. Your, your parents didn't know about it. it finished <laughs> before you finished before you were born, mm-hmm. um, and it was the biggest show in the history of anything ever. And I thought it would go on forever, and then one day it didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, that's I think like by like three years later, everything, every job had left me, and I was there. I was I was unemployed, and um, I'm fifty. No, sorry, I'm 40. I'm not 50 yet. So I'm, four, I'm 40 years old and unemployed. And being an unemployed 40-year-old in the entertainment industry, mm. not a fun place to be. Mm. My, my manager at the time, I was in Los Angeles, my manager at the time, a fantastic man by the name of John Farrader, said to me, 
unless you host the news, no matter how big your show is, one day your show is going to get cancelled. So you better figure out what it is you're going to do to meet the obligations you've made while that show is on, um, whether you you know started a family or you've got a mortgage or whatever, right? Uh, but I'd never done that. I just thought it was always going to keep happening and then it didn't. And then... <laughs> It was bad. So now uh, I, I've learned a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm sober now. I was making those decisions as someone who was not a sober person, but I'm mm. sober now. So I think a lot more about that sort of thing. So now I, um, I guess probably 45, 50% of you, what you see mm-hmm. on the TV that I do and the podcasts that I make, that's probably 50% of my work. The other 30% is next year and and there's probably another 15%, which is five years. And there's maybe 5%, which is 10 years. And that's how I divide my time. Mm -hmm. And you you absolutely have to take Mm -hmm. the time and deliberately create those projects and keep, it's like nudging, trying to get the chess pieces all the way to the other side of the board, one square at a time, right? You've got to constantly keep moving it because if something doesn't take off, that's fine because you've got these other ones right behind Mm. it. And um, for me in a freelance industry, this is the business we have chosen. And in in a freelance industry where the old, you know, I don't, I don't work nine to five. I don't have a job for life. There's people my age who have been in the same job for 20 years and they'll be in the same job for 20 more years. Um, that's not, we work a few months at a time and that's it. So if we've chosen this life. So I say we, my wife and I, we've chosen this life. So part of the work is to create more work and line up more work and maintain the kind of relationships, um, and, that it takes to be, Oh, you know what? Yeah. We need some, yeah. Raf. Yeah. I remember him. Yeah. He, he called me the other week. Yeah. We'll get him on. Right. You just got to make it easy when people are making decisions about what's the next, who they're going to yeah. get to fill this spot. Nobody wants to do casting. Nobody wants to do put an ad in LinkedIn. Nobody, they just want to be able to go, who knows someone that can do that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. And it's within two minutes, mm-hmm. it's done. Mm-hmm. So just kind of keeping those relationships and maintaining those relationships um, is is vitally important to maintaining food in your fridge. <laughs> so similar to as you as what you said when um, you wake up, you've got a structure. So you're not mm. just structuring your day; you're structuring well your life. Yeah, yeah, because I you know that's just a part of it. And if you make, I, I find that it's all systems. Then if I, you know, I've created. Uh, systems around all this sort of stuff. And then all you have to do is just make the system a habit and then it's easy. Um, if I have to constantly think about it, I'll, I won't do it. So I, 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 there's a lot of systems and a lot of lists in my life. Why did you, why did you pursue a career in media? I was playing in a band in Brisbane and we were an original band. So that meant I was unemployed. I was on a doll and um, I was like, no, nah, there's got to be something more to this. There's got, I've got to, there's something else here. So I just, isn't this so long ago? I wrote letters. I hand wrote letters to every radio station in the city saying, look, I'll do anything. Um, I was essentially applying for an internship. So I'll do, I'll do anything that you need. Mm. One person that I had known from when I was a roadie before that recognized my face because I put a photo in there. He goes, I know that guy. Let's get him in. And I just kind of fell into radio and I just happened to be quite good at it quite quickly. It happened to also just have this particular kind of relentless work ethic around this kind of thing that I just, I guess I just outworked. I I, I might not have been as good as anybody else, but I could outwork everybody else. So 
And that's really a lot of it. And that's a huge mm. part of it is just how willing are you to do the hours? The best prep that I had for getting onto Channel V, which is cable music at the time, was five years of overnight radio being terrible between midnight and 6 a.m., mm. like making mistakes and being bad. And, oh, hey, how are you going? Like <laughs> being t- throwing the wrong song and playing ads in the wrong place and, you know, mispronouncing things. And like it was five years of being really bad um, before I got on Channel V. And then a couple of years of not being that great, but on camera now. Um, so by the time Idol came around, I'd been, Idol was what, 2003. I started in radio in 94. So I've been nine years. I've been nine years of, you know, five, six days a week doing this to get to that point. And so when people go, oh, wow, where'd you guys come from? It's like, well, where do you like, you know, <laughs> and if you, if you count the three years of being a roadie before that, you know, I've been at it a long time yeah. before I, before I got anywhere. And so, you know, you asked me how I got into it. I was just, I just happened to be good at it. And once mm. I saw a, I, I didn't do very well in high school. And once I saw a gap of light kind of, it was kind of the first time that anyone in a position of authority went, that's really good. You, you know, you got work to do, but that's, you've got the, that's really, really good. Keep working on this, this, and this, and it's going to be way, way better. None of my teachers ever told me anything like that. Mm. Um, and so it was like, oh, okay. And so I just did what they told me. What ultimately made you want to change your name? Oh, that. <laughs> Interesting thing. I, I kind of do believe in nominative determinism, all right? So you're all old enough to have remembered primary school, right? Mm. So uh, there was one year that I'm going to make up some names, but you all know this. You'll understand the story. Um, uh, Miss Smith, who was our grade three teacher, uh, we all went away for summer holidays and we came back and M- Mrs. Campbell was our grade four teacher. Same person. We had to call her something different. Uh, she now wore different clothes. She carried herself differently. She treated us differently. And it was like, well, you're the, you're the same person. But we now call you a different name. And it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, we, people change their names all the time. Mm-hmm. I was in a park um, about a year ago or something. And I'm standing there with, oh, I was locked down. So I don't know, maybe 15 other men and we all have the same name. We're all dad. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but we change our name for only this person or these, in my case, two people call me dad or no, sorry. One person calls me dad. The other one calls me Osha. So I'm a stepdad. <laughs> um, so when it came to change, changing my name, it was very much about separating my previous way of living with my now sober way of living. And it was a, uh, aggressive rebrand, shall we put it that way, uh, of, um, you know, Facebook became meta. <laughs> uh, I, um, you know, it was an ability for me to put a clear delineation point in my life and go, all right, that person, uh, who didn't said and thought about things that way is, is him. And now I'm me. And it worked really quite well and I'm grateful for it. So this is, it's such a big book and it covers so many ideas and sort of themes around your life. What, what ultimately led you to want to create this book? Well, Josh, when I know I talk a lot about sobriety and <laughs> you know, it's difficult, you know, how old are you guys? We're 15. 15. Right. So when I was 15, I was already like 
necking spirits whenever I could get my hands. I was like, you know, a Labrador to a kitchen scrap whenever alcohol was around. Okay. So already I was, it was Queensland drinking. So alcohol was already a problem for me when I was in grade 10. And it got just worse for about another 20 years. Uh, eventually, you know, alcohol wasn't my problem. Alcohol was my solution. Alcohol was the thing that when I wasn't on stage, alcohol was the thing that made all the noise and made all the anxiety kind of go away. Unfortunately, what happened was the amount of alcohol that I would need to feel at all normal or accepted or just okay became completely unsustainable. And the, uh, I would become a person that I did not like and I thought about right and wrong differently and um, what was a good idea or a bad idea. I thought about these things very, very differently when I was, uh, as soon as I had the smallest amount of alcohol. So um, it got to a point where the amount of alcohol that I needed to get to that feeling of, oh, everything's okay, it just became unsustainable. And I was just causing way, way, way too much damage. So when I then got sober, I'm like, hang on, I, I know I can't drink anymore, but this is all I've known since I was about 14. I cannot conceive of another way of living life that doesn't involve alcohol. And you know, I heard stories about other people who was where who were where I was, and I heard them tell me their stories. And like that part sounds really familiar. But look at you now. You are, you know, you're you're married, you're you've got a good career, you know, things are going really great. So I just have to believe that if I do what you tell me, I might end up there as well. You can't be what you can't see. And I'm just simply trying to, I was simply by writing the book, simply trying to tell a story and give what was given to me, which was yeah, I know what it is you're going through or, you know, this is what was told to me many times, not only with sobriety, but also with my mental health. We're like, yes, I know what you're going through. Yes, I know. It feels like that, doesn't it? I'm like, yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, you may not believe, you won't be able to accept or believe that it actually can be different like this one day. You just do A, what, you know, these people tell you or what your doctors tell you and you just do it every day and it's going to be okay. So that's kind of why I wrote it. I just wanted to give people what was given to me. How long did it take you to write it? Um... Oh, crikey. Well, by the time you write a, a book, you, you, you've kind of written it four times. And um, the idea that you sit down at your keyboard and you type out your 120,000 words and you hand it in, <laughs> they go brilliant. And they hit control P and off to, off, you're off to the races. <laughs> no, no, it's written and rewritten and rewritten again and then rewritten one more time in my case. Um, and every time just shaving off the bits and pieces there. And I was very grateful to have uh, an extraordinary editor who never, ever, he never told me what to, or, or uh, there was two of them actually, but they never told me what to write. They just went, they just mark paras and go like, if you can get from this point to this point quicker, or if you can find a way that can in, in, encapsulate this 400 words here, going to make that bit punch a whole lot harder and they just taught me as I was writing to become a better writer mm. and I have trouble concentrating so I used the Pomodoro method to to write it which is basically at the start you set a timer and you do 20 minutes on five minutes off and during those 20 minutes when my brain's going oh man you got to text that person I wonder what's going on there do you actually think do you have how many mighty bikes does count in a zone like I would write all those things down and then type 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 and I had a little notebook there. there's things that come out of my head I'd write them down and then in the five minutes I'd go and do all those things text this person find this thing you know, pay the water bill, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I managed to get up to, I think, 55 minutes and 10 minutes break 
from woe to go, probably from October to February. Oh, wow. November, November to February. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I guess it wasn't your your editors. They didn't say, do this, do that. It was more of a guided process. Absolutely, because ultimately they don't want to, you know, they don't want to infuse your work with yeah, their voice. That's true. really important, you know. And they would recommend other books to read and see what styles were similar to mine that I would be able to go, oh, yeah, I see what. Like if you guys were going to make an action movie, I'd say, right, watch Way of the Dragon, watch Drunken Master, watch Fist of the North Star, and watch John Wick. Now think about how you're going to make your action film. So similarly, they're like, okay, you're writing this kind of book, you're in this kind of industry, um, your story involves these sorts of things, here are some similar books. Here's how these guys have done it. We reckon this style might work yeah, for you. And okay. so it was ultimately an amalgam of a few um, – a few different books and um, some of them I found myself. So before I wrote it, I, I, I listened to books, uh, boys, we boys. Uh, no, I listened to fight like a girl from Clementine Ford. I listened to um, Eddie Izzard's book and Kevin Hart's books. I listened to those three mm. books mm-hmm. um, before I even wrote a word. All right. And with those, with the, with that, those tones in my, in my mind, it was like, okay, now I kind of understand which bits I want to take from each one. And I went from there. Mm. So essentially just um, inspiration and structure from other. Yeah. But it's, it's like any art, you know, any art is a reflection. All art is a conversation. Yeah. All art is a conversation. You know, it's like uh, this band heard this particular other band and they went, Oh, okay. And they maybe they just started playing covers of that other band and then they morph into something else and they go, well, wow, this thing's kind of a little like that, but kind of different enough. Boom. Out it goes. Boom. Up the charts, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so we've we know you have a podcast as well called Better Than Yesterday. What's it? Yes. Sir. What's it all about? It does what it says on the box, man. <laughs> Just here to help you make today better than yesterday. Yeah, I've been doing it since 2013, and um, yeah, it's three three times a week now, which is kind of cool. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm with a guest, and Fridays it's just me, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it's cool. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the kind of conversations I get to have on that show. And I really love seeing how I, I, I've been in podcasting since, like I said, since 2013. And mm. I was late to the game, you know, because I've been listening when I lived in America. I started when I lived in America. You know, to be involved in a, a new broadcast format that is ever evolving is really quite exciting. And yeah, I, I love the the form of podcasting. I love what I learn from my favorite podcasts, and I love what you know the interaction with the audience of my show. And um, yeah, I really like it. I really like we 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 talk a lot about kind of um, we talk about mental health, we talk about um, equality, we talk about climate. Um, occasionally, occasionally we might have funny people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the the title of the podcast is really the meaning, but I guess what does better than yesterday mean for you personally? Um, the idea that every single day, if we have a, we all flock to the cinema to go and watch a superhero movie, right? Hmm. But every one of us actually has a superpower and that we can decide what's important and meaningful 
we can decide what's important and meaningful for us to do today and how we go about our day. We can choose every day. We can choose our reactions and we can choose our actions. We may not think that we can because we're so automatically programmed to respond automatically, but we can actually choose our actions. We can choose our reactions. And that's amazing Mm. that we have this chance to go, you know what? Um, I'm feeling a bit kind of lonely. I, would love to have more people I can call my friend. Um, what can I do about that? And we can actually actively choose to go out and nurture and nourish friendships, make new friends and care for and, and grow the relationships we, we have. And, and then what do you know? You do that every day. And then a couple of months later, you're like, wow, I've got more people that I can call a friend. And now your life is remarkably different. We can choose to do that every day. The idea that, no, this is it. That's, uh, that's how it's going to be till I die. That's not, that's not, any organism on earth does not do that. Every single organism on earth grows and grows and grows and grows until it dies. And for some reason, as humans, we go, and no, that's where I'm going to stop. That's how I feel about refugees. That's how I feel about zero emissions. And that's how I feel about women. And that's it for life. Come and fight with me at Christmas when I'm 80. And there's, that's what a silly way to live. You know, the world changes every single second. Um, why not change with it? It's just going to, cause it's just going to be way weirder uh, trying to deal with the world. Uh, if you just stuck you know, in it in your yeah, old you world, gotta, you got to keep moving, man. Yeah, yeah. The only, the only, the only consistent thing about life is inconsistency every day. Mm. Well, speaking of guests, oh, speaking of friends, how many guests have you had on your podcast now? Do you know? Oh, crikey, man. <laughs> Episode 579 went up today. Oh, my I God. think guest-wise, wow. I think guest-wise we've got probably 400 guests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably 400 guests. What's, wow. So that, yeah. What's wow. the process of choosing those guests then? I just want to have conversations that I find interesting and conversations that will be of value to the people who listen. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, I, what do I do when I listen to a podcast? Usually I train or I'm driving somewhere, uh, doing groceries, um, I, or, you know, cleaning up my stupid office. <laughs> uh, I, I like to have conversation, hear conversations that I go, Oh, I did not know that. Oh, that is interesting. So I like to have these conversations that, have been framed by people who are resistant to changes. Like, well, it's way too hard. We can't possibly allow that. How many bathrooms do we need? Like (laughs) it's basically like, how can we make a show? How can I make a show that you can play to your, you know, previously mentioned cranky uncle and go, yeah, I know you might, I know what you've said about, you know, that, but have a listen to this. Um, so why did you decide to make a podcast channel or like what, Got you really inspired to start it. So I, as a, you know, I started in radio in, in 94 and uh, this was very, very protoplasmic internet, all right? So the internet made a noise uh, yeah. when you used it and uh, there was no such thing as video online. It was all <laughs> text Mm. and you had to code the pages yourself. Wow, and that sounds quite or, different to what it is today. Yeah, and over time, internet speeds went through the roof, and you know, a, a 50 or 80 megabyte MP3 file to download that would 
literally take eight hours. Yeah. Not even joking mm-hmm. on on the dial up. All right. And it would cost you every hour you're online. So like mm. that's ridiculous. No one's gonna be able to make a podcast. So to be a part of an industry that is emerging and hasn't even like podcasts haven't even reached, I think like not even 8% penetration in the Australian market. Mm. We are so, we're not even at the ground floor. We're not, we're, we're getting dropped off in front of the building of <laughs> podcasting, right? We're not even anywhere near the, the foyer. Mm. And to, to be a part of it now is incredible. And the next five, 10 years of podcasting is it's it's just explosive what's on on the horizon, and to be a part of that is amazing. And not only that, I'm a part of a show that I have absolutely complete creative control over. Mm. If I want to, crikey, what are my last? I work so I work on a show called you know Bachelor Bachelorette and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. But yeah. um, if I can, what's that? I I had a conversation. My last couple of podcasts are um, a conversation about. Um, uh, what it's like to be a superstar uh, dance music uh, person and then go from that to making no money during lockdown. And then, you know, wh- what happens when the live music scene falls through the floor because of COVID, um, a, a, a drag queen talking about the fluidity of, of sexuality, um, uh, talking about the, the, the possibilities that our country have if we actually embrace zero emissions mm. and uh, <laughs> conversations about whether or not you people are choosing to have a child or not during a climate emergency and an economist talking about the, the upside of, of taking climate action. Like that's got nothing to do with rose counting or screaming, take it off. Mm. All right. And no one cares. Mm, no, I get to make these shows and have these really interesting conversations with really interesting people. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, a lovely thing to do and it's making money, which is also very nice because um, mortgages and school fees want for pain. (laughs) Yeah. And you've mentioned that, you know, you are in the driver's seat for this podcast, I guess. Yeah. For such a, a pro of a podcaster yourself, do you have any tips for us smaller channels? Um, I guess the thing, the time for inauthenticity is dead, Josh. Mm. Um, the the wonderful thing about the democratization, there's no more gatekeepers as far as you could only make a show that a lot of people could see is if you could convince a television network to allow it, to give you the money to make it and then hopefully some people will watch it. If you've got a phone, you can make a TV show and you can put it up online. And if you make it good, you might become a superstar. But that's mm-hmm. the only barrier to entry is like your ability to tell the story mm-hmm. is the only thing that's stopping you from becoming um, some gigantic YouTuber that fights Floyd Mayweather. Not that you will, but um, <laughs> like that's the only barrier to entry there is. The only thing that stands between you and that is your ability to tell a story and your mm-hmm. ability to be authentic mm-hmm. and communicate with the people um, that are in your audience. I did tr- in the early days of the podcast, I kind of chased the download numbers a bit and I tried to, you know, test which guests were good and which guests people like to listen to. And I was like, if I do that, I'm not going to make an authentic show. Yeah. So I just knuckled down and went, I'm just going to make the most authentic show that I want to make and trust the audience will find me. Yeah. And that's what's happened. So just make the most authentic show you can be as honest as you can be as you know, respectful of people's time, be harsh in the edit. Um, you may think that your scintillating banter between the three of you is amazing, but listen to it again and go, 
actually. It's no, (laughs) let's lose that that bit. Be aware that sometimes when you're just riffing amongst yourselves, you're going to have to, if you're going from point A to point B to point C and then point D is the banger, B and C might be Mm. So cut them out and get from A to D and just, you know, there's show in show business. So, you know, you you are constantly competing for people's attention. How can you, what are you up against? You're up against the most astonishingly powerful AI algorithms that are constantly feeding uh, just nonstop eight second videos of exactly what you want to watch Mm -hmm. on whatever platform it is you're you've got open at that time mm. how can you possibly compete with that mm. so you you know be aware that that's your main competition is the other apps on that person's phone so um be mindful of their time so let people yeah. let as you said before like with your book let people guide you and help you but don't yeah them, um make- well, I, I would love to know, i only know what it's like to be a teenager in brisbane mm. i'd love to <laughs> yeah. know what it's like to be a teenage boy in in Tasmania. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to know what life is like. I'd love to know because you're the only people that can tell that story. Mm-hmm. You are the only people that can talk about, you know, what parties were there on the weekend, what set it do, what happened in sports, like what, you know, do you even care about AFL? Like mm-hmm. what's going on with this? Wow, there's a lot of people moving here. Wow, this is odd. Housing prices are going up. My parents are excited. How am I going to afford one? Da, da, da. Like these things are all really interesting mm-hmm. and they cannot be told by anybody else anywhere in the world. You are the only three people that can tell that story. Yeah. Okay. So tell that story because it's fascinating. Mm. Okay. It's worthy of making. It's worthy of, I want to hear it. So something a bit different now. So um, what, what was it like working on The Bachelor? Uh, well, I hope you know, you, you're using past tense. I, yeah. I, I hope past yeah. tense. Could you <laughs> no, reframe the question yeah. as if we are going to keep making it for me, please, Raph? So what, what is it like working on The Bachelor? Oh, there's so much better. That, yeah. You know. Oh, it's great working on The Bachelor. Um, oh. It's amazing. I get to go to work and help people fall in love every day. Yeah. And I work with wonderful people who are very mindful of that that is what we're trying to do. We're not making a show about, you know, ex-army people, you know, super army soldiers strapping people to, you know, bungee cords and throwing them off cliffs and, <laughs> in, you know, gas, you know, tear gas masks. So we're not doing that. Mm. We are helping people fall in love. People find love in a way that's meaningful to them. And that's a beautiful thing to get to go to work to do every day. Mm. And we are all very aware of that. And it's really, really, really lovely. And I work with a really wonderful, professional, fantastic crew of people. How many hours does it take to shoot one episode? Oh, it depends, Alexander. It depends what kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, show we're making. But um, generally, it usually takes, it's either... It takes us two or three days to shoot one episode. Wow. So quite a bit. It's quite a bit of time. Um, but then you've got to, you know, got to consider like, uh, so we do this thing in the day, but then, you know, the, the next part happens at nighttime. And so there's like four hours that happen between when we finish this thing and that thing. And then the nighttime thing has to go for so long. And then, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, but, you know, mate, I'm not, I, I used to lift very, very heavy things that were covered in beer and vomit up and down loading docks mm. in the Queensland stinking summer where it's 30 degrees at four in the morning. And, and now I do this. Mm. So I'm okay with that. It's fine. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess you're not, you're not um, posting, posting um, an episode every single day. So you kind of have to spread it out. Spread well, it, it takes a, oh, it takes a long time, long time to cut though, you see, yeah. Raph, because 
if you're shooting, yeah, bear in mind you're shooting, uh, say, you know, our, on the early nights of our show, whether Bachelor or Bachelorette, there's upwards of, including our hero, there's probably 23 or 25 people there. Mm. Now, every time you have two people talking, you need at least two cameras. Mm. So you've got at least one wide shot and one single, so you can cut away to the conversation. So on those big nights, we'll have six, maybe eight cameras. Now, if you're doing a, a cocktail party that goes for four hours, that's 32 hours of footage you've then got to go through. Mm. It's a lot of footage. It is. Okay. Um, and so it takes a long time. You know, if we're shooting a whole day, you know, some of those big group dates are, you know, they're big days. Mm. And so sim- similarly, we've got six cameras shooting 20-something people for eight hours or nine hours. That's a ton of footage to sort through and edit and, and cut down and then, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. So post, they're very post intensive. These shows post-production intensive. Sorry. Mm. And I'm assuming it must be very hard in the sense that you, you really only get one take with some of these sort of shots. Like I don't know, with sort of, I don't know, the bachelor, the bachelor finale, you can't say, well, can you say, let's do that again? Well, that's the thing, Josh, in that I'm very grateful. And I think they, they, they got me because of the experience that I had in this realm in that it's the, it was the first show I'd done that isn't live, the mm-hmm. first kind of show like this that I'd done that isn't live. Um, but it's you're playing the currency we're trading in is authentic human emotional reactions. Mm. And you don't get to do them twice. Mm. So it's, you've, you've got to get it right first time. You've got to do it right first time. And mm. so we will occasionally do my bits once or twice because um, of the amount of cameras we have. My The first time we shoot my bits is all the reactions of the people in the room. So if you see me talking, going, hey, this is what we're doing today, that's about the third time that we've done it. Yeah. Um, because we, we get all the reaction shots and we pull back for a big wide to get the big cutaways. And then we'd come back on my single single. And, and sometimes the people aren't even there, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, and that's how it, but that's how it is because yeah. my, my bit's okay to go twice. Yeah. Um, but their emotional reactions of our, of our participants, we, we can only capture once. Mm. So, um, it's very important that I get it right first time every time. And, um, I'm grateful that, I have a way of learning a lot of words very quickly and um, it's uh, kept me in a job. (laughs) It's kept me in a job. Now, this was a question that was on my mind and probably a lot of other people's, but the bachelor pad is some amazing, massive mansion. Do you get to stay there? Why would I want to stay in a a place that (laughs) smells like, fake tan and creatine no <laughs> I, I i stay in my house with my family it's <laughs> where, where i live i stay in my own home uh no god no and <laughs> uh, no they they because they also need to feel the people it's their home yeah. for 10 12 weeks sometimes mm. it's their home they need to feel that there's a boundary there yeah. I, i'm not into i'm not into really big houses josh i don't oh. like i don't i don't I've, I've been we shoot in some places that are just gargantuan <laughs> when i call out to people i love i don't want to hear an echo no you know but some people are into that some people want to have a house where they're sitting in a room that's 
um, you know, literally the size of my entire home. I'm not into that. Mm. I like, I like intimacy. I like my family close to me. I like a, a home that brings us closer together. And, uh, no architect, we could talk about architecture, but I'm, <laughs> I'm more, in, I'm more into, um, architectural design that promotes an in- intimacy and a sanctuary for the family that lives in it rather than look how big my place is, uh, which is great for television, mm. but it's not great for me. Mm. So how did COVID affect The Bachelor or, and the franchise and what happened? That- so it's tr- it was tricky to figure out at first. Um, but thankfully, we, had an, uh, uh, we have a network and a production company that were absolutely committed to getting it made and getting one, everyone to and from work safely and mm-hmm. getting everybody on the show to stay safe. So they invested the money in testing, in COVID protocols, in safety marshals, in everything. And it was bubbles upon bubbles upon bubbles. None of the departments could, you know, uh, we couldn't, but at one point we weren't eating at the same time. We had different meal areas. Um, We didn't interact with each other. Nobody actually handed me anything. It was, it was really quite intense, but it was what needed to be done to make sure that we could stay working. Uh, You know, we've had moments when we made the second season of Masked Singer. um, I was a close contact of um, someone and there's a a few people on our crew became uh, infected with COVID-19. And um, uh, yeah, I was, I had to go isolate and stay in my apartment. I was, it was the day before we were going home and I went, "Mm, you're a close contact and you can't go anywhere for the next two weeks. So I, I couldn't, I was supposed to go home the next day. Um, oh no. I, I missed my son's first birthday and like everything, but you know, it's what we needed to do. Cause the last thing I want to do was make everyone at my home sick. Mm. So that's what we needed to do. And it was like 48 of us stuck in Melbourne. Wow. Doing that. Um, all right. So what was your time like on radio all up like a summary? Um, well, we, we did talk about it a bit before. Uh, yeah. I've had two goes on radio, or a few actually. Um, radio is something that I just fell in love with so much because I adored radio when I was young. Um, radio, like it's been told a thousand times, I'm not the first person to say, but that was the internet. That was our lifeline. That was our live um, thing. And I grew up in Brisbane, which is, I guess, much like uh, uh, Hobart or Tasmania, where we are in, in Tasmania. Even Hobart or Lonnie or Hobart. 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 So, you know, I'm sure that even now you watch TV and go, mate, I never see Hobart on TV. I see Sydney, I see Melbourne, Mm. I never see Hobart. Mm. And people only ever talk about Sydney or Melbourne. But I grew up in Brisbane. It's like, I remember watching the cricket, right? And uh, Boxing Day Test in Melbourne and people are wearing jumpers. I'm like, it's 38 degrees. What are you wearing a jumper for? (laughs) You know, I never saw my city Mm. or our way of life reflected Mm. in mass media but on radio i know where the station is i know those people are live right now and i know those people are talking about what's happening in my city right now and that was like oh right no this is us this is this thing is us and i can call this person i can talk to them and then it was me i was the person in the studio and people were calling me and talking to them and i always loved the immediacy of radio and with the exception of twitter um, I think radio is still the most nimble. Uh, you know, there was uh, there was a time when I did I did breakfast radio as well, which was a, a very interesting adventure. Um, and um, then there was a time when I stopped doing breakfast radio, <laughs> and, uh, and I just started doing podcasts. So 
Yeah, I, I love it, man. I think radio is great. What was the funniest thing you've ever done on The Masked Singer Australia? Oh, I never made the edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's one thing that I love about Masked Singer, uh, if there's one thing that COVID did give us, um, it's that we had to work without an audience. Without an audience, when you've got an audience, you've got kids in the room. When you've got mm. kids in the room, um, people like Dave Hughes and Ursula Carlson are <laughs> limited mm. in what they can do. But all four, Danny, Dave, Jackie, and Urs, are absolute showbiz, super professionals, amazingly professional. Mm. And so, and, and, and both Hughesy and um, uh, Urs are so generous. And so Danny and Jackie are incredibly generous as well. But Husey and Urs, Husey's, what I love about Husey and Ursula as well is that Husey the most actually, he knows that if he can make the other person have the big line, he everything is great. And I think that's the magic of Dave Hughes. And so he would, he would start riffing with Ursula and it just would just get so filthy, so fast. And I'd be like this, like, Oh my God. And then either one of them would then, cause they're very clever and they've been doing this forever. Even then, either one of them would then kind of reset a bit and go, but what did you think about the thing? And then Ursula would, bang, drop the punchline. And because everything has just been said for the last minute, then Danny and Jackie go, ah, you know, like this. So in the cut, they pulled out all of the, the filth that will never, ever, would never get hired again, <laughs> that ever made it to air. But in the cut, when you put those two things together, you've got this setup punchline. Mm -hmm. Ah, and that's the most amazing thing about working with these people is they all are just such professionals and know exactly how to put the cake together to make it perfect. Mm. And uh, yeah, some of those moments I, I, I blush on stage uh, listening. To, and I'm a grown man. Uh, I blush on stage listening <laughs> to those people. It's hilarious. Um, so what's it like working on live TV and like not being able to make any mistakes? Well, that's the thing, Alexander. You can make all the mistakes you want. And, well, yeah. what are you going to do about it? <laughs> no. <laughs> the, tr the trick is, Alexander, the trick with live is that you, if it looks like we're just making it up, then it means that we've rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and mm -hmm. written and rewritten and written again and then rehearsed and cameras rehearsals and everything. And then you, you put it all together and on the day you hit go and then somewhere between the rehearsal and the live broadcast, that's when the spark happens. And it's great. Like something like dancing with the stars, not as much fun when it's not live. Why? Because when it's live, you know, if this famous person falls over, they're really going to fall over. <laughs> and then there's, wow, they're going to hit the deck and scatter across the floor and there's nothing. The stakes are high, mm -hmm. right? That's why sport's amazing. Like it's live. There's no chance. So <laughs> I love it. I'll do it every day if I could. <laughs> Now, what we've covered a lot of things and you are involved in a lot of media. Now, what's your favorite area of media as such? Uh, TV, radio, podcast, or writing? Nah, man, there's no there's no favorites. No, no. favorites. I just no 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 no. I'm just I'm just grateful to grateful to express myself in different ways because they're all different jobs, right? Mm. So what I what I do on Master Singer and what I do on Bachelor, you know, sometimes people go, why don't you talk about the, the stuff you talk about on your podcast on those shows? Because that's not that's not the job. The job is to scream, take it off at a giant pavlova. That's the job, right? The job on my podcast is like to ask really intense questions to a incredibly clever economist about 
you know, what we actually stand to gain as if a country we transition to clean energy and what that will do for green steel and our export industry and how we will actually not only save but increase our economic output. Um, but that's not a conversation I can have on The Bachelor. Well, thank you so much today, Osha, for joining us. Thank you so much. Hey, no worries, guys. It's been super cool. I really enjoyed it. To listen to more Hutchins podcast and subscribe, please search Hutchins podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or you can search by going to hutchins.taz.edu.au forward slash podcast. We really hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.